And I'm going to show you the chart that I'm going to start out with here. This is the one that we referred to last week. And I'll let the uh, camera pick up on it. And uh, it's a timeline chart. And we've talked about it already to you. See, I, this is where the, ca- the light's up there. This camera gives you shadow. The other will not happen that way. So what you see, that shadow right in here, is, uh, will not be there. And it'll be also a little brighter. But this is a timeline chart starting with Adam over here where my pen is, the first man. This is the Old Testament and a period of 4,000 years here, 4,000, the Old Testament. And uh, Abraham was 2,000 before Christ, 2,000 years after Adam and so forth. And uh, the period of time for mankind, as I mentioned last week, is is designed after the seven days of creation, which God made all things in six days, and the seventh day he rested. So what you have then is mankind will have 6,000 years, and these are dispensational days here. Creative days was one thing. Dispensational days is what we are into in this earth. So there were 4,000 years of the Old Testament. There has been 2,000 years of the New Testament, excuse me. 2,000 years of the New Testament that will wrap up with the rapture and then following that tribulation period and Armageddon. Armageddon is really the wrap up of that full 2000 year period of time. And then after that, there is a thousand years of peace. That's like the seventh day or the day of rest. And this is what I'm gonna be talking to you a little bit about this morning. I'm gonna talk about uh, a little bit about this tribulation period in here. The next major event to take place in the spiritual world, if I can call it that, or according to scriptures, the rapture of the church. Uh, The Lord is coming back. When he went away, he said he'll come back again. I go away and I'll come back in my father's house of many mansions. If it were not so, I I I would have told you so. And so Jesus is coming back, first of all, for his church. This is described in several scriptures in the New Testament very explicitly. The dead in Christ shall rise first. In Christ, everything's in Christ. And the dead in Christ... Alive in Christ, they'll be caught up then afterwards. And so this is what we call the, the rapture. Following the rapture, there will be a period of time on earth that's called the tribulation period. The tribulation period, and uh, it's a very short time, even though on this chart it seems to be large. It's a very short time. And I, I, I have no idea. I know it's at least seven years, and it will probably be Maybe it's got to be longer than than seven years. So it's maybe 10 years, 14 years, but it's not very long. And it is a time in which God will pour out his judgment. We've already talked about it. We've covered all of that. The interesting thing about this period of time is that in the middle of it, the Lord finishes up everything that he will ever do for Gentiles. And he turns back to the Jews and we talked to you about that in the 11th chapter of the book of, Hebrew, of, of Revelation. I'll not go back into that at this time. The 11th chapter of the book of Revelation, when he begins to preach to the Jew, he says the two prophets, Elijah and Moses, back to earth. And then they begin to preach to the Jews that Jesus Christ was your Messiah. Now, this is prophesied in the Old Testament numerous places. And then we showed you where they'll do that. And then the children of Israel will begin to turn back to the Lord during this period of time in which we call the restoration of Israel, the Lord restoring Israel back to her place that she had 
in the, with the Lord uh, in, the, in the beginning, back before he dispersed them. Uh, when Jerusalem was destroyed and this temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, the Lord scattered Israel and all the world. They had rejected Jesus. They rejected their Messiah and they had caused uh, that reproach to come upon them. They said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. The Jews said that. And so consequently, they were to go through the judgments. And the judgments, of course, was them to be scattered throughout all the world. And many of them were put in slavery and so forth. But God's blessing stayed with the Jews as a people, excuse me, that were scattered all over the world. And so this is where they are still today. Nothing has changed. They're still there. But the Lord is going to restore Israel. And so this is the part that I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to start by talking to you a little bit about the Lord restoring Israel. I'm going to give you a handout right now. And this is one called the restoration of Israel. I'll come back to some of these other things in just a moment. But uh, Brother Eddie has some handouts for you here. And these are for you to keep. And uh, this is for you to uh, sort of get a, a picture here. And uh, they'll give you a handout here and you can see. You find mine, I got one in here too. It's simply called the understanding of the restoration of Israel. Now, if you can't see it very good up there, let me move this out so it doesn't interfere with that, that chart. If you can't see it very good up there, I've given you handouts. These are scriptures that I've, I have accumulated that's in the Old Testament, New Testament. I won't talk about all of them because we've already talked about so many of them. But I just want to refer to some of them here to give you an assurance here that the Lord is going to restore Israel. And it'll be in the middle, in the middle of that tribulation period. And then when he restores them... And he begins to give his spirit and so forth. And two things he does, uh, and I've got it on your chart there. Number one, all Israel will turn back to God. And they have not all turned back to the Lord yet. That has not happened. Uh, there is a Zionist movement by Israel themselves to reestablish their homeland and reestablish themselves as a nation. And that's what we see in Palestine today. And we, we give honor to them and, and so forth in that. But God is going to do a complete work. And so all Israel will turn, eventually turn back to God. And here's a barrage of scriptures. Now, I'm not going to cover all of them, but just give you some highlights. Uh, the uh, Luke, Romans and Luke here talks about the time of the Gentiles. When the time of the Gentiles is all fulfilled, God then is going to turn back to the Jews and turn back to Israel. And then their testimony here, Revelations 10, 7, and 11, 1 through 3 through 7, talks about the two prophets, and it talks about their testimony. And I'm pointing out to where you'll see it on your chart that you have in your hand and everything. I won't go into detail on that. We've already talked about it. And we talked about how in the Zechariah 12, uh, 10, and 11, that whenever their hearts are turned back to God, God is going to give Israel 
uh, the spirit of grace. This is found in that 12th chapter. You have it in your scriptures there. Sometime when you want to just study this, that's a lot of information here for you. But God will turn back to Israel and he'll give them the spirit of grace. Uh, just as a uh, reference here, look in Isaiah 52, 6 for just a moment. 52, 6. And uh, it's just one simple verse that sort of tells us here what will happen in that period of time. This is, this is 52, 6. All right. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he. So when this time comes, they'll know that Jesus is the Messiah. They'll know that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. And uh, they'll know that Jesus was almighty God and that he came so forth to the world and so forth. And there are other verses of scripture. I won't go into detail on them, but Jeremiah 31 talks about Ezekiel eleven nineteen. These all refer to it, 19 and also verse 20 there. And uh, the Lord talks about how he will put his spirit within them. Look at, look at Ezekiel 26. I got my pen pointed there. Ezekiel 26, uh, thir- I mean, Ezekiel 36, 26. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. If you look there, this is what God will do with Israel when he turns their hearts back to him. He says, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And of course, if we were to back this same thing up to verse 24, we would see here that he's talking about the restoration of Israel. Just we're in verse 26 and 27. If you backed up just two verses to verse 24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that this is what God is going to do. He's going to put his spirit within them. Now this has not yet happened. This has not yet happened to Israel. And uh, so this will begin to happen after the two prophets come back and they preach to them, Jesus Christ was your Messiah. God gives them the spirit of grace, praise the Lord. And when they have the spirit of grace, then the spirit of God will come inside of them. And then they will become God's people on this earth. And for the first three and a half years of that latter part of the tribulation period, uh, these prophets will turn their hearts back to God. The last three and a half years of the entire tribulation period, the last three and a half years, uh, the Antichrist will rise to power and he will dominate the world. He'll rule the world. He'll be the greatest, worst tyrant that has ever lived on the face of the earth. You can put them all together. He'll be the very worst. He'll be like uh, Adolf Hitler was in uh, parts of Europe. He'll be that all over the whole world, anti-Jewish, anti-Israelite and everything else. And so this is what will happen during that latter part of that tribulation period during that period of time. Now, the last thing I was going to point out, number two here, this, you've got number one, all Israel will turn back to God. All Israel will return to Palestine. All Israel will return to Palestine. And I've given you numerous verses of scripture here in which I'm not going to try to talk about all of them. Uh, look at Ezekiel 37. It's not on your notes there. If you want to write it in, Ezekiel 37, 21. 
for instance, uh, just to give you, uh, you're, in, uh, you're in Ezekiel there already. Uh, in Ezekiel, I think, is 36. Look at 37, 21. Ezekiel 37, 21. And it simply says this. Everybody still with me? We're talking about the restoration of Israel. We'll get into some other interesting things in a moment. And say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. So here's another verse that uh, substantiates that. And then in your notes there, in the very bottom there, that last scripture, Ezekiel 39, and that's a, just a chapter, that's just two chapters away from where you are in Ezekiel 37. If you look in Ezekiel 39 and verse 22, 25, then I'll read 27, 28. But look in verse 22 first. 39, 22, thank you. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. This is speaking of when it will all happen here at the, when, they, when the Armageddon takes place. Armageddon is what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. But God will be turning their hearts back to the Lord during that period of time. Verse 25, therefore thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. Uh, in the olden days, uh, when Solomon sinned, the house of Israel was divided into two nations. And they had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was Israel, southern kingdom was Judah. And uh, the northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians and scattered throughout the world. And they never returned. They never returned. At least they never returned in a, in a given sense. The Ju Ju Judah, that's why they're called Jews. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Judah was captured by the Babylonians. And then they were they was held captive for about 70 years. And then they, re they returned back. So he was saying here that I'm going to bring, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to bring the Jews all back to Palestine once again. And there will be no division of, you know, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was most of the 10 tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom was uh, Judah and Benjamin and so forth. Let me move on here. Verse 27. This, I'm still here in Ezekiel 39, 27. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' land and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them into their own land and have left none of them anymore there. And I think that's very... Uh, I think that's very important to, for us to realize. Look at that 30, 29th verse. It's not on your notes, but look at 29. Neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel. Again, this is touching that subject of how God will pour his spirit out upon the Jewish people and give them what they need to be able to withstand all the powers of the Antichrist that are on the earth and go through what they'll have to go through in a short three and a half year period of time in which the Antichrist will try to, uh, try to rule the world and so forth. Now, uh, this is a brochure that I've given you here, understanding Israel's restoration. Uh, 
This will begin to take place actually at the beginning of the thousand years of peace at the, at the end of the, of the tribulation period. It'll all come together. Uh, I want to give you another handout. So I'm going to ask our brother Ed, if he would, to give you some more handouts here, brother, and if you'll help him here. This is a handout that I want to give out to you here on five characteristics of Armageddon. See, these are things we've talked about, but I want to give you some characteristics. There's a lot of scriptures involved here, but I'm not going to read them. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just going to give you handouts. These are scriptures that you can look at sometime. And what I'm trying to show you here, that all of these things is not just something that you find in the book of Revelation by itself. It's not just something you find in one small verse or so, but it's really very, very much in the scriptures. And the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And the reason that I'm emphasizing this is because there's people who come along who try to change what these things teach us by saying it means this, it means that. They try to make certain things to be symbolic uh, that's not symbolic and uh, they try to change the whole scope of it and so forth. I have heard everything in the world, everything in the world. And uh, I just want you to know here that the Bible is, is so much on target. So there will be the restoration of God. There will be Armageddon. Uh, there are some people that believe that Armageddon has already happened. Well, if it has, something's been left out. There are those that think we're living in the uh, tribulation period. Did you know that? Some people think we're living in the tribulation period. They haven't seen anything yet. When you read the book, when you read the Bible, you understand we're not in the tribulation yet. We are in the day of grace. This is still the day of grace. Noah's Ark, the door stayed wide open until God shut it. Anybody could have been saved. Anybody could walk through that door and be inside the ark and be saved from the flood. They did not go in because they did not believe. And so anybody can be saved today. This is the day of salvation still. This is the time of grace. But when God shuts the door, he will shut it like that. And the rapture is the next major event. He's going to shut that door. And that door is shut to all Gentiles. When, the, when, the, when Noah and his family were inside the ark, for seven days, God left the door open. Left the door open. When God takes his church away and everything, there are still some Gentiles that will be saved out of the tribulation period. That's another story, and we won't get into that. We've talked about it already. But the point I am simply bringing out to you here is that when you come to Armageddon, now Armageddon is that last, I'm going to put this up here again to show you the chart. Armageddon is this part right here. And there are characteristics about Armageddon I'm going to point out to you. The rapture is when God comes back for his church. He never touches the earth. We meet him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We rise to meet the Lord in the air. In the clouds, it says, in clouds and in the air. And then Armageddon, he will come with his saints, 10,000 of his saints. We'll give you some scripture on that in a moment. But what we're talking about is when you get through the tribulation period here, the Jews turn their heart Hearts are turned back to the Lord. The Antichrist has done his final work. And finally, God steps in and God is going to do his work. Now, let me show you the chart on the board up here that we'll be using five characteristics of Armageddon. Everybody still with me? I'm trying to touch. I'm trying to connect some dots here, you know. 
And I'm trying to give you a lot of scripture. Now I know this, these scriptures here scare a lot of people, but don't let it scare you. Now you got the paper in your hand here. And what I'm uh, pointing out to you here is that I'm going to give you some characteristics of Armageddon so that you know, and this is all in the Bible. Number one, everybody see that? Number one on your lesson, the second one that I hand out to you, the five characteristics of Armageddon. All nations will gather against Jerusalem. All nations will gather against Jerusalem. At the end of that tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to get all the armies of the world. We had time to go in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and, uh, and just show you scripture. The whole two chapters describes it how that God will bring these nations. It tells what nations they will be. It's interesting. Nations that are out there today that we know about, uh, they are going to come against Israel. And uh, it talks about how that they're going to pack together and they're going to come against Israel with one intention of wiping out the Jews from the face of the earth forever. Because as long as they exist, they testify that God is on the throne and that God is in heaven and that God keeps his word and he keeps his promises. Let me just say this today to all of us. The fact that there are Jews, it is a testimony that there's a God. They're the children of Abraham. And after 4,000, uh, after 2,000 of the Old Testament, 2,000 of the New Testament, 4,000 years, God still has these people on the face of the earth to bear witness that he made a promise to Abraham and he's going to keep it. Hallelujah. So when you say, well, is there a God or not? If you see a Jew, that means that there's still a God. They are still keeping their laws and so forth. So it's a testimony within itself. All nations will gather against Jerusalem, that is against Israel. And uh, we got Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14. We talked to you about that one last week. Whenever Jesus comes back at Armageddon, he would touch down on the Mount of Olives. Remember us talking about it last week? The Mount of Olives was split open. Water will come out from under the throne of God. Uh, out of Jerusalem, it will. You remember that lesson last week? Just raise your hand if you do. Some of you do. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, we talked about that. This is a very detailed, and I won't go into that. Joel 3.2 describes it. Ezekiel 38, as I mentioned a while ago, describes it to, to extensively about those nations. All nations will come against Jerusalem. And then, of course, Revelation 16, 14 and 16 is where it really describes here uh, these things, where it really begins to take place. Uh, I want you to go to Revelation 16, 16 for a moment. This is where Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible, and uh, it is the only place that it's mentioned. Revelation 16, 16. And this is the buildup, and it's getting ready for Armageddon here. It says, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon. Armageddon is, means the mountains of Megiddo. Megiddo is a town that is in the uh, Jezreel Valley. It's called the Jezreel Valley. It's also called the Valley of Megiddo. And it is in central Israel. And uh, it's a very interesting place and so forth. It's, uh, anyhow, it's, uh, this is where that big valley is. And there's a, it's, a, it's a farm belt for Israel to this day. But the Armageddon is going to be all through there in Armageddon mountains of Megiddo, is, this battle is going to be fought all in that area. 
So it's called Armageddon. If you look at verse 14, I'm backing up. This is 16. Just back up to verse 14. But there are the spirits of devil talking about the Lord releasing these evil spirits, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, and he gathered them in, un, uh, together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So what I'm doing, I'm simply describing to you here, giving you the name. This is the only place that the word Armageddon uh, is found, but it refers to that great battle of the Lord when the Lord will bring all the armies together against uh, Israel and they will come there to, with the intentions of wiping Israel out and off the face of the earth once and forever. How I many of you know there are nations and people that would like to get rid of Israel? How I many of you know that? You know, Iran has made, Iran, the nation of Iran has made the statement that we want to annihilate Israel. They, they believe that. They build, that's why them building a nuclear, you know, armory and everything like that is so dangerous because one of their objections that they state, uh, they're the Shiite Muslim group. There's different Muslims and they are the Shiites. But they uh, have stated that they want to wipe out Israel. So anyhow, that spirit is in the age, it's in the world. So we're not far from all this. And the Lord is getting ready to come back for his church first and then the tribulation period. And then he's coming back at Armageddon. And when he does that, uh, he's going to fight for all Israel. So number one, all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. And then I'm going to go to number two here. Uh, God slash Jesus will come with his saints, with his saints. Now this is uh, scriptures that says he will come with 10,000 of his saints. Give us Jude 14. That's there. Zechariah 14, five mentions it. Jude 14, Jude only has one chapter in it. It's the, it's the book just before Revelation. It's got one. It's just got one chapter, and it's the verse fourteen. It says simply says, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So it's prophesied here. But I want you to go to Revelations nineteen. Now, everybody, still with me? We're going to get back into Revelation here in Armageddon here in just a moment. This is where we're going. Nineteen, and I want you to look at eleven. Nineteen eleven with us. I'm watching the clock good, so uh, you don't have to watch it. I'm going to watch it for you. <laughs> I won't go over time. Look at 11. And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is describing Armageddon now. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And there's no doubt about that. This is speaking of Jesus coming, but it doesn't say Jesus because the word Jesus is God as savior, that Jesus, Joe is savior. He comes as judge here. So it speaks about him coming as the word of God. And uh, you can look in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and word was with God and word was God and so forth. Uh, and verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm quoting here from John 1, 1 and 1, 14. Okay, let's go on to verse 15 here. And out of his mouth, let me read 14, I'm sorry, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Everybody see that? Now, who, are, who is this? 
If you look back in verse eight, if I'll have the, God bless those people up there. They, they sure do stay with me on this. Look at 19, eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed. This is talking about the, the bride of Christ, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Praise the Lord. Uh, and so when you see here in this 14th verse, in the armies which were in heaven, I'm jumping now to 14 again, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is the saints of God that's with him. So we're caught away in the rapture, but we come again with 10,000 10, of his saints. We come back at Armageddon with the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it's called the battle of Armageddon, but there's really no battle that happens. There's no battle because the Lord's greatness and his brightness and his glory just simply consumes the enemy, the enemy army that rises. And so all of these things are described and so forth. And then it goes on to talk about the things that will begin to happen uh, whenever this happens. Praise the Lord. So God will fight for Israel. And uh, if you look at number three, God will fight for Israel. I'm not going to read any of these verses here because God will come back. He will fight for Israel. And here's a whole barrage of verses here. Uh, 1915 talks about it and so forth. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it, he shall smite the nations and so forth. So the Lord comes back with his church, with his people. And so I'm giving this for a handout. Uh, number four, would you look at number four with us? There will be a great earthquake, a great earthquake. Uh, Joel 2, 1 describes it and Joel 2, 10 through 11 describes it. Joel 3, 16 describes it. Like earthquake like it has never been before. Haggai 2, 6 through 7 and 21, verses 21 through 22 describes this great earthquake. Zechariah 14, 3 and 5. We talked to you about that last week when the Lord touches down at Armageddon. The earth, the earth will split open. Mount of Olives will divide. There will be a great earthquake. There will be a tremendous change. Everything will begin to change. Uh, waters, fresh waters will flow out from out of Jerusalem. Will flow down into the Dead Sea. And it will also flow into the Mediterranean. Be called healing waters. And those waters will heal that salt. And that if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, it is so salty. And it has so, got so many chemicals in it that you can swim in it. It's got some healing virtues to it, but don't drink it. If you drink it, it'll kill you. But you can just simply lay down almost on the water. When Titus, who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., when he went to Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, he went down to the Dead Sea. He was a Roman. And he had heard about it. He said, I want to see the Dead Sea. He went down there and he had a small army with him. And they said to him, now, General Titus, nobody can drown in this sea because, you know, you float. You can't drown. So he said, he said, how many of you guys can't swim? One or two of them raised their hand. He said, grab him and throw him in. <laughs> Literally, this is in Joe Severson's writings. This is in history. They grabbed him and threw him in, the, in that sea. And, and he didn't swim. He, he, he floated. He came out. He was lucky, you know, and everything. He said, yeah, I see what you mean, you know. 
But he's a general. He could do that. He could risk his life with one of his soldiers, I guess, if he wanted to do that. But what I am pointing out to you here is that that sea, I've been in the Dead Sea and, and I've stood with my hands by my side, just stood just like straight as I, like, like this and never go below my belly button, excuse me, my belly button as far as sinking into the water. And when you lay down, you can lay down and water will never get up in your ears. You just lay your head. It's an amazing type of water, very smooth, oily feeling. It's strange. But anyhow, nothing grows in it. No life is in the Dead Sea. Nothing can grow around the Dead Sea. No vegetation. And the Jews have planted some date palms, but they keep them away and they irrigate it, bring in fresh water from afar, from irrigations and so forth in order to make them grow. But when this happens here, water will come out and heal that sea and it will be full, it will be rich, it will be wealthy, it will be it would be like it was never that way before. And so all of this will happen when at Armageddon when all that happens and the Lord splits that uh, Mount of Olives open and that water flows down into it and everything. Uh, I'm going to go one other uh, place here. I want you to look with me here in Revelations. Not look with me, but notice here in number five, the bird feast. The bird feast. You're in Revelations 19. We were there a while ago. Look at Revelations 19, 17. 19, 17. Revelations 19, 17. This is when the Lord comes at Armageddon. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, 19, 17. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit upon them in the flesh of all them, both free and bond, both small and great. And so here's a description here of this Armageddon with the bird feast. And this is also described in Ezekiel 39, 4. I'm not going to go there. In 1720, it talks about the birds that God will call. Also, it's found in Matthew. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24, 27, 28. It's all in your notes there. And uh, what we're giving you here is these descriptions here how that all these things will happen and all this will come about and take place. Now, uh, what you see here is the is Armageddon and God will come in his presence. Armies will be just annihilated by his presence and his spirit. And look what will, hap- look what will happen to the Antichrist. Now, you're in Revelations chapter 19. Look at verse 19. Everybody still with me? Okay, 19, 19. He says, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. This, the beast now is the Antichrist. And we're not going to talk about him. The whole 13th chapter of Revelation describes him from stem to stern pretty well. Many other verses in the Bible, in Daniel and even in 2 Thessalonians, uh, they describe him. John talks about him, the Apostle John in his writings. We don't talk about him anymore. He's described as the beast here. But it says here that the beast and the kings of the earth, their armies came against the Lord. Verse 20, and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet. We haven't talked about the false prophet, but when the Antichrist rises to power, there will also be a false prophet who will give honor to the, to the uh, Antichrist. And he's going to be almost devil personified. And uh, he's, he's going to be mean, mean as, as the snake. And 
the, and God's going to allow it to happen to show the hearts of the people. They will take the mark of the beast. And he's got a name, he's got a number, he's got a mark. And we know the number to be what the Bible describes as 666. I don't know exactly how that's going to be done, but they're going to take it in their head or the back of their hand. I don't know. I do know right now that they have a, and I've got material on this, but they've got a little chip the size of a grain of rice that they can put right in, in between your thumb and your forefinger, right in that little soft spot. They can put that in there, and it has all of the information about you personally in there. If you worked in a factory, all you do is put your hand there. If you worked in a place, and it takes your pay, it knows who you are, everything about you. And so somewhere or another, this kind of stuff is going to be required. And unless you take the mark, you can't buy or sell. You can't exist. Well, they're going to force the whole world to do that and everything. Now, this is where the Antichrist is destroyed. And the beast was taken, verse 20, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So at the end of Armageddon, this is what happens. And the, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into that lake of fire. Now, turn over to chapter 20 and look at verse 1 and 3. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit. We're 20 and 1. We're talking now about the devil. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. If you want to know who that is, they're all the same thing. It's all the same one. The, the dragon, that old serpent, the one that appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden and all that stuff. And bound him a thousand years. Look at that. Bound him a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose for a little season. Now, I'm going to give you another handout here, and this is the last one. And I think you've got three of them, <laughs> so you've got, your, you've got your wagon loaded. And this is the one on characteristics of the millennium. This is the thousand years of peace. And I realize I only got about five minutes maybe here to talk to you about this one. But if you'll hand out this one, this is the characteristics of the thousand years of peace. And while they're doing that, let me say this to you, that next week I'm going to get into the white throne judgment and the resurrection. And you don't want to miss, folks, uh, this class next week. You don't want to miss it. I've got some very interesting things to give you. Uh, some of you have been in some of these classes that I'm going to be talking to you about. And uh, you well know that uh, there's a lot of wonderful things to be understood about God and what he's going to do at the end time. And so... We're talking about now that last 1,000 years. Uh, this is a chart that shows the end of the tribulation period here. I'm just going to put that up. And here's the 1,000 year, years of peace. And so this is whenever this will happen. Armageddon happens right here. Where am I? Right here. Armageddon happens here. 
and then this immediately ushered into the thousand years of peace. It's not even any, it just, it just happens. God comes back and when the Lord comes back, he changes everything, wickedness, sin, everything goes out the window. Now, the first two numbers, look at the characteristics of the millennium. You, everybody got that? Millennium means thousand years, as you know. Uh, number one, all Israel return back to God. I've already given you that on a bigger page. And number two, all Jews will return to Palestine. I've already given you that on a bigger page. I want you to go to number three here. Number three, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. I've already talked to you about that one. Just talked to you about it. Zechariah 14 describes it. Joel 3, 18 describes it. Ezekiel 47 describes it. Revelations 22, 1 and 22, 1 and 2 describe it. So I'm not going to talk to you anymore about these three things. I do want to point out to you here that in the thousand years of peace, there will be no more wars. Would you look at Isaiah 2-4 with me for a moment? Isaiah 2-4. Isaiah 2-4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears and the pruning hooks. That means no more swords, no more spears. They're, they're farming implements. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more war anymore. This is a description uh, concerning the thousand years of peace. Everybody still with me here? That will happen. Now, Micah, and that's just a confirmation to that same verse of scripture. If you look in Micah with us, Micah chapter four and verse three, it says pretty well the same thing. So that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established as the Bible says. And it says, and this whole fourth chapter here is all about the thousand years of peace, how God is going to establish this great time of peace in the world. In verse three, I'm just gonna read this one verse. This is four, three of Micah. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. Excuse me. <coughs> and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more in war anymore. So here's two verses, almost identical, that tell us that, that all, uh, all there'll be no more wars. Also, people will live e exceptionally long lives. They will live long lives like they did before the flood. Uh, the Bible says, and I've just got one verse there, Isaiah 65, 20 and, and verse 22. It says here that a person dying at the age of 100 would be as though a child has died. In other words, he, his life is cut short. So people will live for hundreds of years during this thousand years of peace. It'll be like before the flood. Uh, all animals will eat vegetation will be, and will be harmless. This is interesting that during the thousand years of peace. And if you'll look very quickly here in, in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 11, and, uh, and verse 6, and verse six uh, through 10, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Everybody with me? The suckling child shall play in the hole of the asp, which is a deadly snake. And, we, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. 
They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And of course, we could go to the next one in Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, and it says pretty well the same thing, the wolf and the kid. It talks about these animals that would eat each other today, they will not do it then. And uh, I don't know whether you know it or not, but before the flood, there were no meat-eating animals. If I had the time, my time's gone, but if I had the time, I could show you that in Genesis chapter 1. There were no meat-eating animals. I'll maybe touch on it briefly maybe next week to show you that. No meat-eating animals before the flood. That changed after the flood. And man did not eat meat before the flood. He will eat meat. He, he could eat meat, meat after the flood, but not the blood of the meat. Okay, that's why the blood, eating blood is uh, sinful and everything, so forth. And so this sort of gives you an idea here. And then the last thing I want to mention to you here and this is the wrap-up, is that when the thousand years of peace is over, the Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And I'm going to give you that last uh, verse here. Satan cast in the lake of fire. Look at 20 and 10, and we'll close out with this. Uh, Revelation 20 and 10. Let me get there myself. Yeah, where is it? <laughs> All right. All right, look at verse 10. And this is after the thousand years is over with. And I didn't read the preceding verses, but you know that. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Notice the word are. In other words, they, not, they were, but they are. They're still there. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell and the lake of fire was made for the devil, not for people. You don't want to follow the devil because he's going there. If you follow him, that's where you're going to go too. So you don't want to do that, you know. God wants us to go to heaven, praise the Lord. In my Father's house are many mansions, amen. God has a great promise for his people. Let's stand together and praise God. Let's just worship him. God bless you. You're a good class, a great class. We love you. Praise God, amen. I've got some good lessons. Good lesson coming up next week. You don't want to miss this, praise the Lord.